Welcome to the Co-Mission Podcast, a place to hear talks, teaching, and conversations from across the Co-Mission Network. On today's episode, we're bringing you a seminar from Revive 2018. One of our most popular seminars last year was entitled, Is Your Gospel White and Middle Class? The two speakers were Alex Brito and Felix Aremo, who are pastors in Mosaic Multicultural Church and Brixton Local Church. Their seminar brought up key and uncomfortable issues about how the church can present a monoculture that can make it appear irrelevant for minority communities. It's a huge issue and one we're just scratching the surface with. Felix recorded his part of the seminar in the Co-Mission studio and that's what you're about to hear. Just a note before we begin, we've done something a bit different with the way we presented this talk. You'll understand what I mean once it begins. And we'd love your feedback. Do you like it? Is it helpful? Would you like more of this style of talk? Let us know. Just email us at podcast at co-mission.org. Right, with that out of the way, here's Felix's talk. Within Co-Mission, God has been saving diverse groups of people and he's gathered us into diverse churches. And that's awesome. That's a fantastic thing because we know that the gospel is for all people and Jesus is busy saving people from uh, different ages, from different places, of different cultures. And he's gathered us together into church families. So there's a degree of diversity within Commission. We should praise God for that. But let's not be too quick to pat ourselves on the back and think that we've done the job. It's worth us thinking about what kind of diversity most brings glory to God. So let's examine three types of diversity which can be seen in London today. Let's think about bento boxes, tomato soup and roast dinners. Bento boxes are Japanese lunch boxes with compartments to separate the different foods from, from one another. So the rice is in one compartment, the fish might be in another, and then you've got the veg in another. And it's one meal, but there are walls of separation between the different items of food. The food doesn't mix. Now this is the type of diversity that is often seen in London. So you can walk down a London street where on one side of the road you've got a council estate, on the other side you've got townhouses, and on the same road, you might have two different pubs and people from the different houses go to different pubs. It's easy for diversity or difference to result in suspicion, discrimination, even open hostility between different groups. So bento boxes are societies where diversity leads to social separation. Okay, how about tomato soup? A good tomato soup contains more than just tomatoes. They're all sorts. So you've got carrots or celery and onions, basil. But regardless of what you put in, a tomato soup has one dominant flavour. Now here's the thing. It's easy for churches to be multi-ethnic and yet have one dominant flavour, essentially to be monocultural. To have a church where people are from different countries and have different skin tones, yet they all share the same white middle-class culture. Because I mean, if we've gone to the same schools and universities, and if we work in similar jobs, it's likely that our churches will be dominated by the culture of those places. Now the existence of one dominant culture can mean that churches can fail to attract, retain, and be enriched by people from different backgrounds. Leaders and members may not even realize that there's a problem. They might point to the basil and to the celery and, and, and think, but what diverse? Look, they're over there. Without realizing that there is a single dominant culture. 
Okay, let me talk about the third group, roast dinners. Roast dinners are genius. So you've got carrots and broccoli and parsnips and Yorkshire puddings and potatoes and lamb just smushed together on one plate and then doused in gravy. There are no walls of separation. There's no one single dominant flavor. The potatoes rub shoulders with the carrots. The Yorkshire sit on top of the lamb. Roast dinners represent a healthy multicultural community because each ingredient is given its room to shine and flourish and enrich the whole. Now we may have a particular love for broccoli or for parsnips, but we'll notice if the potatoes or the carrots aren't there. They add something to the meal. And the same is true in diverse Christian communities. We're called to be roast dinners because we value the diversity and we miss it when people are absent. Let me just be explicit for a moment about what true gospel diversity, roast dinner diversity entails. It means having people from different ages and ethnicities, cultures attend our churches, but it's more than that. It means having people contribute to the life of the church, diverse people contributing in significant ways. They lead small groups, they speak at evangelistic events, but actually it's more than that. In truly diverse gospel communities, we open our hearts and our lives to people who are different from us. Our friendship groups look different. We really know them and they really know us. We share our hopes and fears, our joys and sorrows, our struggles and concerns. Truly diverse gospel communities are expressions of worship. We're worshiping our creator by celebrating the ways that he's made us different from one another. We love the fact that people are different from us and that we're different from them. Truly diverse gospel communities are expressions of worship because we worship our savior who saved us from different places and brought us together. He's made us his children and brought us together into one family. As Romans 12:9 puts it, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love honor one another above yourselves. That's what happens within truly diverse gospel communities. However, roasting the diversity, although it's desirable, it's difficult to achieve. And one of the biggest barriers to achieving roasting the diversity is being content with tomato soup diversity. Now, how can you tell the difference between tomato soup and roast dinners? It sounds silly when I pull it like that, but here's the thing. It's harder to recognize that your church is tomato soup if you're a tomato. Or to put it differently, it's harder to spot what's white and middle class about the way that you do church, the way you do evangelism, discipleship, if you're white and middle class yourself. Many aspects of, of life in the UK favor people from white middle class backgrounds. Just think about who teachers are at school or lecturers at university or MPs in parliament. It's easy to, to go through life when you're in the dominant culture and not have to make adjustments, cultural adjustments, as you go through life. Whereas other people, people from subdominant cultures, make these adjustments daily in order to navigate the education system or employment or healthcare provision. So people from subdominant groups are, are likely to spot the sermon illustrations from Dalton Abbey or about the rugby. People from subdominant groups may struggle to persuade their friends to come to the wine and cheese event, because it's just not culturally the thing that they'll go to. 
often people from subdominant groups are expected to conform to the norms and the preferences of the dominant group. But if that happens, we won't have diverse churches. If I'm at a church with a dominant culture that's different from my own, it's very tempting to simply embrace that dominant culture, unless I'm encouraged to do otherwise. Unless I know that there are people at that church who love the fact that I'm different and are encouraging me to, to find ways to express that cultural difference within the church family, it's very easy for me to either leave the church altogether, reject that culture, or to conform to the things that I see around me. And this is particularly true for, for younger Christians who are looking up to others for mature Christian role models. It's easy to just fall in with what other people are doing. So maybe in order to understand the sermons, I start watching Downton Abbey. Or to get to know the guys at church, I start paying attention to what's going on with the rugby. It would be easy for me to end up changing what I'm wearing, how I speak, where I socialise, in order to fit in to the church culture. But if that happens, the church will remain tomato soup. It's not true diversity. Often there are people who, they'll not remain in tomato soup churches for very long if they come at all. Some will end up walking away from church altogether. When asked, they'll just say, well, I just found church isn't for me. If churches are to move from being tomato soup to being roast dinners, they'll need to be more intentional about appreciating the uniqueness of the subdominant cultures and encouraging those differences to be expressed within church life. Of course, individuals are, are free to embrace a culture that's different from their own. But this shouldn't be because of a, a social pressure that they feel or because they mistakenly associate Christian maturity with a particular dominant culture. Tomato soup churches need to stop inviting people from subdominant cultures to contribute in superficial ways. So just think about the different ways that people from subdominant groups might be invited to contribute. I mean, the obvious ways are, well, we're going to have a, a church uh, potluck supper, so contribute a meal. But perhaps we ought to be thinking about how uh, people from subdominant groups might contribute as leaders of Bible studies or within evangelistic settings. Building truly diverse gospel communities, it's a supernatural work. This can't be a, a passing fad or a fashion for us in commission. We ought to be committed to it because it's a gospel thing. It's something that brings glory to God as people from different nations and tongues and tribes, ages, stages, ethnicities and cultures all gather together and worship God in their own unique ways. Uh, some of the things that we do as individuals and as a church may unintentionally exclude people from different cultures. Now, what do we do when we recognise that that is the case? I mean, it's easy to be daunted by the prospect of change or to be paralysed, uh, be fearful about doing things which might offend. But let's not respond in this way. We have a, a God who is sovereign and powerful and he's given us his Holy Spirit to help us as we seek to change and grow and develop as church families. So what are things that we can do practically to encourage our churches to become more truly diverse? Let me outline a few things that we can do. The first thing we can do is ask tough questions. We need to get into the habit of asking ourselves some difficult questions, asking questions about our churches and about our network. Firstly, we could ask, how diverse 
are the relationship within our church. Are my friends very similar to me and to each other? How well does our church reflect the diversity of our local area? I mean, are there people that we are excluding? Which unreached communities could we reach by planting new churches? Second, we need to be honest about our failures and repent of them. There are some things that we don't like to be associated with ourselves within our churches. Words like prejudice or racism. We want to distance ourselves as much as we can from those kind of words. But as Christians, we ought not to be afraid to admit our failures. I mean, prejudice, whether it's based on gender or ethnicity, cultural class, it's part of the air that we breathe. All of us have been infected, whether we like it or not. I mean, there's an unspoken hierarchy which exists within our hearts, which governs how much value we place on different people and how much respect we afford them. The university-educated businessman is often afforded much more respect than the working-class mum. Why is that? Prejudice in churches is not a new thing. We see it in passages like James 2 or James 5, but it remains a hindrance to building diverse gospel communities. When visitors to church realise that they're being treated differently because of their age, their colour, their class or their culture, they may come to the conclusion that that church or church in general isn't for them. Prejudice can be subtle. So it's important to find appropriate ways to invite people to share with us examples of when they felt discriminated against or marginalised, whether inside church or outside of church. Now this can be painful. It can be painful to hear about ways in which we've made people feel like outsiders rather than making them feel welcome. It's a painful process which requires patience. But our church communities need to go through this process in order to become safe spaces to address legitimate concerns. God isn't surprised by the fact that we're sinners. He's not surprised by our prejudice, but he does call us to repent of them. Therefore, we need to ask God to reveal to us our failures and to help us change. At the same time, it's valuable to remember that no ethnic or socioeconomic group is monolithic. It'd be a mistake to, based on the things that we learn and the ways that we grow, to then relate to people making assumptions based on their ethnicity or their accent. No, no, it's much better for us to treat people always as individuals, even as we learn about um, the background of different people. As Christians, we're loved and accepted by Christ, but we're not yet completely free from sin. These facts should humble us and they should free us, liberate us, to be honest about our failures and to confess them to God. So why not do that today? Why not ask God to reveal to you ways in which you've been sinfully prejudiced? Ways in which the things that you've said, the things that you've done, has caused others to feel discriminated against or to be discriminated against. It's good to confess our personal sins and to seek God's pardon for our collective failures. Also, we need to pray. We need to pray for God to change us. We need God to transform the way that we think about people habitually. So as we meditate on passages like Genesis 1 and think about the fact that our creator 
made everyone in his image. And as we seek his help to treat people as image bearers, known by God, loved by God, brought into the same family, we need to meditate on passages like Philippians 2. Remember the Lord Jesus, he was humble. He didn't seek praise and honour for himself, but became a servant, submitted himself even to, even to death on the cross. We need to remember passages like Revelation 7, the fact that God is glorified by gathering a, a group of people from every nation, tongue and tribe, saving them through Christ and equipping them, enabling them to praise him. But we need to go further, don't we? We actually need to befriend and listen to people who are different from us. I mean, is there someone in your church from a different culture you can begin to build a relationship with? Now, it's worth being upfront about your desire to get to know people from different cultures better. But you need to work hard at avoiding making, making people feel like they're some kind of exotic plant undergoing scientific investigation. Begin slow, build trust, and ask for permission before inquiring about their experiences as a member of a subdominant group. Don't make assumptions. But for many in London, racism and prejudice is a daily reality. Education, employment, housing, healthcare, policing, all these areas of life can be affected. And Christians need their brothers and sisters to help them deal with the challenges and trauma they face. And those with power to bring about change or to advocate for, for others or to use that power in service of others. This can only happen if we know each other, if we know the things that we're going through and if we love each other enough to help. Also, we need to take action. Roughly one in three Londoners, that's 2.5 million people living in London, don't have a Christian friend. They don't have a friend to invite them to church or to offer to read the Bible with them. Also, 81% of practicing Christians who go to church have been to university. That's compared with 27% of the UK population. Okay, so big things need to happen if unreached people are to be reached with the gospel. We can't just go to our friendship groups or our, our friends at work. We're going to need to cross cultures with the gospel, aren't we? Faithful approaches to evangelism are necessarily culturally conditioned, and it's right that they are. Paul became like a Jew to reach Jews. He became like a Gentile to reach Gentiles. Therefore, we need to be careful that our own preferred methods of evangelism don't exclude the very people we need to reach. To put it crudely, Christianity explored with wine and cheese may be off-putting to those who prefer sandwiches and soft drinks. It makes sense to employ a diversity of evangelistic methods in order to reach a diverse group of people. It's also worth noting how different groups socialise for example, it's common in some settings to get to know new people by asking a series of questions. What's your name? What do you do? Where do you live? In the end, someone who's not used to this form of interrogation may feel categorised, classified, rather than known and valued. In other cultures, it's more usual to treat strangers as if they're family members before you even know their name. Now that may seem a bit too much, and, and so there are other things we can do. It might be better to ask questions like, how's it going? Have you come from far? And then to volunteer information about ourselves, 
leaving room for individuals to share with us as much or as little as they want to, as they feel comfortable with. In other words, we need to be flexible, whether it's in our evangelism or in our socialising, in order to reach diverse peoples. And as you listen and learn and grow, why not ask God to show you if there are specific things you or your church can do to reach people who are not currently being reached? Pray for God to bring them not just into your church building, but into your friendship groups, into your home, into your heart, into your life. I was once trying to witness to a, a Caribbean man in Brixton. And he said to me, how dare you as a black man speak to me about Jesus? Don't you know your history? Also, a, a woman once asked me, why does God hate black people? What's going on here? I mean, what history was the first man speaking about? For many people of African heritage, Christianity is associated with slavery, colonialism and racism. And sadly, not all of their accusations are false. In 1452, Pope Nicholas V, he authorised the enslavement of non-Christians and the seizure of their lands by Europeans. In the 19th century, slave masters used the Bible to justify their cruelty towards their African slaves. And even Christian abolitionists embraced ideas of European racial and cultural superiority. The assumption was just that African peoples and African culture was inferior. And actually those same notions can infect our minds today. Similarly, all over the world, the labour of missionaries seemed to go hand in hand with that of colonial powers. And amongst them, there was a shared disdain for non-European cultures. Awareness of this history has led many to conclude that Christianity is it's just a tool for Anglo-American cultural and political domination. They're unaware that according to Acts 8, Christianity reached East Africa before it reached Europe. Or that some of the leading theologians in the early church, people like Tertullian, Athanasius, Augustine, they were North African. Christianity isn't a white middle-class religion, but perhaps the best way to, to prove that isn't just looking at the history. We ought to be able to point to diverse churches as demonstrations of the fact that Christianity is for all peoples and all cultures are welcome and celebrated. Christians are, are called by God into communities in which there is real unity in the midst of diversity. Colossians 3.11 says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. We're called to reflect the diversity of our multicultural city. Now the importance of this is seen more clearly when we realise that one day we're going to take our place amongst the great multitude that no one can count, from every nation, tribe, people and language. We're going to stand in the very presence of God, rejoicing in our salvation. And that's going to be such a wonderful day. But God intends for that future reality to shape the way that we live today. Building diverse gospel communities is desirable, oh, but it's difficult. It requires prayer, focus, hard work, persistence, repentance and forgiveness. However, Ephesians 2 reminds us that unity and diversity is not only desirable, but it's already our reality. 
because of Jesus' work of reconciliation. May God, in his great mercy, help us to walk in this gospel reality with humility and with joy. Amen. Our thanks to Felix Aremo. Felix wrote an article based on this talk called Building Truly Diverse Gospel Communities. It's a great read and really worth thinking over the issues it raises. You can find a link to the article in the episode description. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a couple of weeks.